Good morning and a happy Monday to you folks. It's a new week, a new beginning, and a new opportunity for you to go out and be grateful. And here is an outstanding scientific reason why. Gratitude generates social capital. We live in a world where social media dictates so much of what we do. Gratitude makes people like us. Gratitude makes us nicer, more trusting, more social, and more appreciative. As a result, it helps make us more friends, deepens our existing relationships, and also improves marriages. Now, that is actual science, folks. There is people sitting in science labs trying to figure out how gratitude can make your world better. So how about today, Sands? This week, you go out and make your world better, and I guarantee you, It'll make others better, too. All right, now let's get this Monday morning party started. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. to the Gruden Live Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. It is Monday Good morning. morning. I still feel like it's Saturday and Friday. I mean, my weekend just kept going and going and going, but it's all good. Yeah, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. So. All good, man. Our, this week, I'm going to be on the road. We got a meeting with the mayor of Bismarck and their forestry department. More information about the industrial forest coming up. More info, big news coming on the industrial forest. And also, folks, the sponsor for our studio is the industrial forest. So we are making some changes at the industrial forest. And we're going to meet with the city of Bismarck because we're going to bring one inside the city limits. Meet with their forestry department. Find out the next steps on there. So it's exciting stuff, man. Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard in our industrial forest studios. And we have our phone line sponsor, the Swan Energy Phone Lines. Joining us on our Swan Energy Phone Lines a little bit later in the program, the president of the Association of Pipelines, Andy Black, is going to join us to talk about that. Pipelines and uh, how they're critical. Not partisan. Pipelines should not be partisan. They should be critical. Well, considering all the news around pipelines right now, this should be a really good talk. All week long, we're going to talk about Titan Solutions and Great American Mining Company. Of course, Titan Solutions does a lot of the secondary and service parts of the oil and gas experience, from the lighting to the sanitation stations to the matting. Titan Solutions, give them a buzz. They're down in the Permian, all the way up to the DJ, end of the Bakken. Also, Great American Mining Company, if you have minerals for your natural gas or you're an operator and would like to figure out a way to Bitcoin, mine Bitcoin, well, the Great American Mining Company is already doing it up in the Northern Hemisphere mostly. It doesn't work in Texas as well because of the heat. But uh, they are our sponsor as well this week, the Great American Mining Company. Of course, we had Marty Bent on last week. Talking about uh, Bitcoin and, and GameStop. You know, whenever we have on a Bitcoin guy, our download numbers, our podcast numbers go through the yeah, roof. That does seem to be a real popular topic for everybody. And, you know, we do that a lot. We, we have on 
oil and gas interviews that are kind of considered outside the oil and gas world because we like to expand our audience. Well, and the, the combination of flare gas and Bitcoin mining is brilliant. And if there's one thing we have plenty of up here, it's the ability to cool down computers. Well, there's quite a bit outside uh, in terms of (laughs) minus 20 degrees. Perfect for your server farm for Bitcoin mining. Coming up a little later in the program after our interview with Andy Black. By the way, Jenica Hauser will be conducting that interview with the president of the Association of Pipelines. Also, she's, by the way, Jenica Hauser, a little later this week, she's got Mark Gordon. Governor Wyoming lined up. Oh, nice. Yeah, you told me she had like three or four interviews in the pipes. Yeah, that interview looks like it's going to be Wednesday, so we'll air that Thursday. Because newsflash, folks, sometimes (laughs) our newsmaker interviews are recorded. They're not live like when Sterling and I are doing the show here, which is live. No, the newsmaker interviews sometimes are recorded. Well, these things take time to set up, you know. Well, Most of the time do. you can't just call these people and go, hey, you want to talk for 20 minutes? Well, you know, unfortunately, the, you know, the world doesn't revolve around us. Well, not yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> Soon. Pretty much evolves around uh, Frackleberry here. Although we have started a little bit because, you know, the Crude Life Morning Show, that's, hey, come hell or high water, it's got to go. Yep. So if you're late, you know, the old days, sometimes, you know, we, we used to joke that, uh, well, all right, you got to call in on your phone then, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. And, and every now and then that happens where like one of the morning show partners is late yeah, or they get, you know, a train they're calling in because they're trapped in traffic. Yeah, they they got to yeah. do part of the show from their yeah. phone. Well, you got to be flexible. I've discovered in this. You got to be very, <laughs> you're going to be doing some show on the road. I mean, you're not creative. giving this up just because you're taking a little trip. No. In fact, what we're hoping to have is uh, Jenica Hauser and also, Sean Forbes with Oilfield Sourcing as okay. well out in Colorado. And we're just trying to see, uh, you know, kind of who, who can, you know, carry the torch when you're not with on these trips. Mm-hmm. You've got kid responsibilities. And with COVID, it's a little more difficult, you know, yep, for kids, me. Kids, jobs, you name it. I got some co-parenting in my life now. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, you know, getting out and doing a little bit of this uh, travel and getting to some other shale plays. And we'll be in the uh, DJ next week. In the uh, Colorado DJ Niobrera next week, so um, I bet you it's way nicer down there. That's why we're going. <laughs> I, I can't be in this minus twenty degrees no. anymore here. It's ridiculous. Oh, by the way, coming up in our next segment, we've got weird board games. Speaking there are of some nutty ones, out something there. to do in the winter time. <laughs> board games, man. I wonder if kids do many board games anymore. I know, like, there's certain games like Catan. Yeah. And um, those are those are like I mean you've got to dig in for time on those some new know. ones yeah yeah and then risk and life and monopoly but what we're going to talk about are ones that failed mm-hmm. or ones that maybe only stuck around for a year and then they didn't sell as well and it's kind of fun we thought of course with the holidays over and a lot of people are playing board games and everything else so we're going to talk about that in the next segment news coming up in the final. Part of the first hour of Play Hard, so we got some of that. Also, traveling makes it a little bit difficult nowadays with with, uh, Frackleberry Hound. It's easy on one hand, but on the other hand, it sure does make... um, That's like traveling with a kid. I mean, you have to plan your stops. You have to think about where you go. You have to... Think about where you're going to stay each night. A kid you can just plug an iPad in front yeah. of and they're fine. Yeah. Although you have found some really cool places because you've had to stop for her. 
I do a lot more meetings actually mm-hmm. outdoors. Yeah. And at riverbeds and in nature and that sort of thing. Um, She'll definitely appreciate some warmer climate. We were asked to leave a meeting last week because of Frackleberry Hound. Really? She kept putting her face up on the counter and I'm on the table and Mm -hmm. peeking up and (laughs) these government employees did not appreciate that. And so the guy who, and he, he was running the meeting politely asked me to leave. Okay. He's like, I can't take this. Would you please leave? (laughs) Be like, Hey buddy, I live with it. Tell me about it. So, Hey, she chose you, man. She chose you. So I said, Hey, they, they said I could bring the dog. So I did. They said, Oh, no problem. It's a zoom meeting. I go, you sure? Cause (laughs) she likes attention. She's like your spirit animal. She likes attention. And as she knows if there's a camera or, well, and like, even in this, like you're, you're basically petting her right now because she had to go find the biggest chewy paws, antler bone she could find. It's an elk bone. And, Started gnawing on it, making noise because we hit record. Yeah. Seriously, it, this thing's the size of a leaf spring from a car, and she's just chewing it to pieces. She doesn't do that otherwise. No, no. She waits until we start recording. So, folks, that's what we have coming up. Big week, by the way. Big week, because we're going to be traveling out to Colorado and Wyoming. Got some good also, interviews coming up. We have World Shale Energy Day coming up in March, so we're going to talk about that tomorrow. And then on... Thursday or Wednesday this week, Tom Shepstone with Natural Gas Now. He's out on uh, the Marcellus out there. He's oh, on, okay. He's actually on the Pennsylvania New York border, so he's very much Part into the, the New York uh-huh. uh, fight. You know, fossil against fuel natural fight. gas. Yeah, and he's very much into the coal and you know that whole fossil fuels fight because in North Dakota and in Pennsylvania fossil fuels are almost just lumped together now. Mm -hmm. It just is. I mean, you got the Petroleum Council lobbying for coal in North Dakota, and in Pennsylvania, they just put them in together because they figure safety in numbers out there. It's kind of circle the wagon type of thing, I think, you know? It's just different. I don't know. In Texas, they're still a little – they're separated still. Like, when we had the Texas Railroad Commission on uh, Christy Craddock last week, that was the first time I, I didn't know Texas had lignite coal, that clean coal. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I so had no idea. They had a difference of kind of separating the two. Of course, it could be because North Dakota. Well, when in you my think backyard. about Pennsylvania, I mean, you think about coal. I mean, that's <laughs> it's coal. It's coal of. country. You know, it's so that's that's the first thing I think about when you start talking about those states right in there: Pennsylvania, Kentucky, other areas. It's coal country, man. And then you think of gas, second natural gas mm-hmm. because of uh, Frackland or whatever. What was the name of that? Natural Gas Land. What was the name of that movie? Frack USA. Oh yeah, I didn't see it. There was no some, interest you know, in where it. they were lighting faucets yeah. on fire. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, My, I think that was like Ohio or Iowa or. It's up in the Marcellus. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. see what and you and see because you don't know this. This is this is what's no, fun. I'm an outsider. To you're this new stuff. to this. So, in the Bakken here, North Dakota, they drilled two miles below the earth's surface so wow. i mean you're miles below any water table right. okay so there's there's like zero issue for animals for i mean maybe you got some microorganisms you know two miles sure. below you got to worry about but there's no gerbils there's as long no, as they kill all the mosquitoes there's no moles you know what i mean there's right, no voles yeah. type yeah. thing you know horned owls there's not a lot of stuff that can live up here man when you get to the marcellus you're talking 15 feet and so wow that's shallow yeah shallow. i had no idea yeah a lot of shallow yeah. and so th- that's where there's some concern now where the smoke and mirrors comes 
That guy, I wish I, Gasland, that was the name of the movie, by uh, some dude named Fox. Okay. Josh Fox, John Fox. Just one of those sort of propaganda documentaries. or Not Rick Fox. Not cool Rick Not Fox. Not cool Rick Fox. With the <laughs> dreamy eyes. With those the bedroom eyes. Los Angeles Lakers. Vanessa Williams, he was married to, right? Oh my gosh, was it? Right? The, I think uh, so. Very, very attractive uh, actress. Yeah, I think so. Okay, getting back to Gasland. <laughs> back to the point. Um, getting back to the Marcellus. So they've got some shallow wells there. So they, they've got some different, you know, issues. Than yeah, say, groundwater issues. Well, just things they got to look. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, I don't know if there's issues, but yeah, they got to think stuff about stuff they got to pay things. more attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So when we'd go to my grandma and grandpa's, okay, in Candiohi County, Minnesota, north central Minnesota, right? If you have a well, you can do that trick. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is just just crack it open a little so that methane seeps through, and then you can do the lighter trick. Right, and flame yeah. it. Yeah, you don't yep. have to be in some sort of you know oil and gas development to do it. All you need is a well from the good old-fashioned barn days, you know, <laughs> the Amish barn days. And as long as it's going through a pipe... In, uh, not all the time. But okay, and we don't advocate that you do this, just so you know. We're not advocating no, you start flare fires. Some places you got to let the brown water run a little bit oh, before absolutely. you get the clean water. Yeah, before you get the clean stuff out. Oh, yeah. my grandma's my grandma's uh, water, you would never drink because you would you would have the shits for days because of iron. Oh, yeah. You can, you can cut the water as it comes out. Exactly. It's that thick. Yep. So there's, you know, this is not new. It's just all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Anyway, so... That that's uh, Tom Shepstone. Is, that should be a good one. He's fun to have on because he likes to talk about myth busting. Because mm-hmm. he's a jur- oh he's a journalist by the way. Natural gas now he's a journalist. So it's fun to get bring. I like bringing other journalists on to talk about what they are investigating. Yeah, get those and deep writing. dives. Yeah, and then we got who else do we have coming up a little later in the program? Okay, Thursday, Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon mentioned that oh god is it thursday already Sweet. and then on friday coming up boy we've got a we've our shows are already booked this yeah week. And you're going you're taking a vacation well so. that's why we had to book them for the week <laughs> uh we've got the guys from cabot oil out on the east coast as well so we got we've got two or three interviews coming from the east, the coast. east coast yeah, yeah. well we did, we did louisiana and texas yeah. last week in the bakken yeah we're gonna do colorado uh next week and so, yeah, you know, shale play USA, baby. We got to bounce around and keep people informed on what's going on about some different areas. Well, in some places, there doesn't seem to be, you know, really a lot going on. But I think that seems to be changing too. The price of crude's going up, staying above sixty. You know, maybe we're going to start to see some positive trends. You know, I think there the, the story. There'll be some interesting stories. Last week we talked about defined by defection. Mm-hmm. Okay, whether the industry is going to be defined yeah, by defection. That got you some response. And. What else have we talked about? We talked about some trolling. You brought up negative oil was starting to get in the news again. Yeah, yeah, we did read about that, and that's something that's been, uh, what, a burr in some people's boot. We got an email about the Greta Thunberg mural in Fargo again on what's the story behind that. And, um, you know, we'll talk about that coming up a little bit later, maybe next week. Didn't they burn her in effigy in India last week? They did. Yeah, Yeah, she she tweeted something. It was some sort of, it was support for something there. She's against farmers. the farmers. Oh. She's sticking up for corporations. Yeah. And she's acting like she's not, and the farmers aren't digging it, right? And But they're, the, I believe it's the government or the farmers. It's like a class action. I can't remember. But they're suing her yeah, for I think, conspiracy. Yeah. Because she's basically what they're trying to get Trump on, they're trying to get her on. 
So inciting, inciting a riot. It'll be interesting to see over the next couple of years legally how those types of things unfold. You know, will it become, will you be able to stop free speech because of that? Or will we start to see more persecution? But here's the thing is that the media has already got rules and regulations for this. So just because somebody has a social media account doesn't mean they're not considered a media company. Okay. Every person that has a cell phone and a Facebook page or a LinkedIn or a Twitter account is a media company. You are. At the end of the day, you are. And if you choose to regurgitate someone else's news, Mm -hmm. great. Because 90% of the internet is a reaction to the 10% of the content creators. Okay? So when when you look at that... You have to go back to, is it Orson Welles that did War of the Worlds? Yeah, the the radio drama. So it was a radio drama, and people were jumping out of buildings. People thought it was real. Did you ever listen to it? Have you ever listened to it? Because of that, I I don't think he went to jail. No. But they recognized the severity behind these types of powers when it comes to mainstream communication. And they said, you cannot yell fire in a crowded theater. Well, now the crowded theater is an online forum. Right. Originally, you were in a crowded theater, and if you yelled fire, someone would die because they'd be trampled. Right. Okay? Yeah. So it became, it, it became a societal law, whether, w- whether it was actually written in the law books or not, it didn't matter. It was, it was so accepted that you didn't want to kill each other, so you wouldn't yell fire in a crowded theater. Well, after the Orson Welles thing came, War of the Worlds, where people were jumping out of buildings because they thought aliens were coming. Okay, real thing here, people. This is real. They had to do that same kind of modernized version of, okay, you can't yell the aliens are coming over the radio. And you know what the funny thing is, is I think they actually had had, if you'd listened at the beginning of the show, it was very obvious that it was a teleplay. That Didn't it was, matter. But most people that freaked out came in on it and they heard it as because it was made up of a bunch of fake news broadcasts. Right. So yeah. when, when we do radio, for example, back in the day, the consultants, you know, the big important people that would come into town, they would tell you that every, was it every three minutes, you have new listeners. Coming and going, coming and going. That's why you constantly reset what you're doing and saying, well, today's guest is uh, Congressman Cornplopper from Iowa. You know, you constantly have to reset because they're going back to work and now they're coming back in. Well, the times have changed because the podcast people are downloading. Yeah. They... They can look on the they can look at the description who who they're who's being interviewed. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to necessarily have a lot of these different rules and regulations, but you still have to be conscious about giving misinformation. Well, you you when you were on radio, there was FCC, there was rules, there yeah. was actual regs. Yeah. Now there's there's a reaction to something that we might say that could become legal, but there's no real parameters what's interesting about like the trump and and the greta thing is is the conspiracy angle that they're trying to get it behind the 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 actual legitimate definition of conspiracy which is uh, multiple people involved with a plan Mm -hmm. okay that's coercing people to do things without their knowledge yeah and inciting violence right and so that's they're trying to get trump on is that oh there was these people funding these organizations so that um QAnon guy and water buffalo guy and you know, Duck Dynasty guy. We, we should talk later about Water Buffalo guy. But you know what I mean? All, all these different guys. But but the idea was is that Trump created that, yeah. so now we're going to charge him for it. Yeah. And he's not going to get charged with that. We all know that. But 
They're still trying to bring them up on that. That's what they're trying to bring Greta up on, but against farmers. That mm. that's what's bizarre to me. How is that not making national news? Like that, I haven't seen that anywhere. No, I you know I caught it on uh, I think it was BBC or Reuters or, or you know something. It was it was not your mainstream it was news not sources. American I guess, news. Yeah. Although I bet you if I'd looked, I would have found it on Fox or Newsmax because that's the type of thing that they would promote. You know? Newsmax. That's. Um... Newsmax, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm familiar with. It's them. kind of a rival, or has been more of a rival to Fox News, especially since the election. Really, since they called Arizona uh, on the night of the election, I think you've seen a migration of people over to Newsmax. Yeah. Oh, they got that's the one who got up and left during the interview. Yeah, that's with right. the My Pillow guy. Yep, with the no. My Pillow guy. My Pillow guy. What's going on with the My Pillow guy? Oh man. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, you, you know, actually, he he put out a three-hour infomercial on uh, ONN or OAN Network, right? The uh, three-hour yeah. infomercial. I watched. Well, it ended up being an hour and fifty-nine minutes. Three I watched it so tour. you didn't have to. I sat and I watched tour. the whole thing. Did you fluff up your my pillow and watch your? No, but I am what, glad what, I never what actually. What in God's my green earth? With the my pillow guy, I have to say for Did three you just, hours. You need to watch it. No, it's, no, no it's, absolutely uh, not. No, uh, you know it's uh, it's interesting to watch from an entertainment point of view. It's disturbing to watch to think about how much a brain can get warped around different ideas when the easiest explanation, the truth, is right there. You know, so for me, yeah, it was like an interesting study on psychology. I don't know. When I tell I, you what, though, it's a comfy pillow. When I saw that the media was okay with Kyrie Irving, point guard for the New Jersey Nets, that he was a flat earther. I went, okay, that's it. If you have money, the media just, they accept it. They accept it. You will not be made fun of. <laughs> if you have money, you will not be made fun of until there becomes a certain point where you can, like my, like the my pillow guy. Yeah. Okay. And then it's just jump on him. Just, I actually feel bad for the my pillow guy. I, I really do. I mean, he, the guy built a successful business. And, you know, I mean, I have absolutely no idea how to make an empire out of a pillow, but he did it. He did it. He did it. Nope. I mean, I, you didn't do it. I didn't nope. do it. Nope. I mean, I, Sealy took him a long time to get mattresses. You know, what? It's, it's interesting to me is, it, is somebody that is has created a, an industry, created jobs, created wealth for themselves and other people would, would spend so much of it and energy and personal... Uh, equity that's, that's on something like at, this. Is that to to believe that he would self sabotage to that degree? I have a hard time understanding that and believing that. Like, you know, it's a it's definitely there's a lot of passion. Well, he's he's very much. Be, I, I have absolutely no idea what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. All I know is that he's getting made fun of everywhere I go. Okay, because he's, it's low hanging fruit. Because he's the my pillow. He's guy. the my pillow guy. Right. Yeah, and all I can think of is that. Okay, when when COVID came out last year, there was a group of physicians that came forward and were very concerned that all these non-COVID-related illnesses were being recorded as COVID. And these people had no dog in the... In fact, they, they got ostracized. So... Was that the group of doctors, though, that talked no, about No, everywhere. Every, every community okay. had these. Demon I blood. mean, locally here, yeah, yeah. our local news had a guy, yeah. and he'd never been political before. Never. I have, I have read up on some of this and listened to some interviews because I've heard hospitals push back severely on the idea that they're making money 
on being able to classify somebody as a COVID death. I, I have never seen a good argument from a hospital or the media that explains why a bunch of unrelated doctors in unrelated towns went forward and said, this problem is happening, and the problem was universal. It was that we are being coerced or told to record things as COVID when they're not. Yeah. You know, it's it's entirely possible. I guess from my point of view, I look at this as, you know, a pandemic and a virus like this is not something that you can easily put in a box and classify, right? The information about it changes over time. But most of us like to have it set down. This is black, this is white, this is wrong, this is right. So when things are cloudy, that leaves all kind of room open to interpretation or Dude, conspiracy. It is just another example of consensus science beating regular science, where policymakers, lawyers, and administrators are trumping the actual doctors. Man, take it in yep. Fargo here. Yeah, in absolutely. Fargo, okay, Fargo. Um, the mayor is an actual doctor. He's an actual doctor. Okay, and he was taking cues on public health from the governor, mm-hmm. like. Remember that when yeah. the, it, was, it was people, you can go watch the press conference yeah. the, the the mayor, the mayor, the doctor in Fargo wanted to shut down the city. I've read that we've in North Remember Dakota. That? Yeah. And, and, and what did the governor say during, don't you dare, don't you dare. Don't yeah. you dare yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't change the See, subject. There was legal action between states uh, and local municipalities right. about this all so, over the country. That, and to me, there's another example of a non-physician, non-doctor, mm-hmm. but, he, but he has the power in administration and he has the power in the hierarchy. He was setting policy about public health over the doctor. And it happened right in our backyard. And that one media outlet actually took that angle. And I'm going... That's I know the story. that's the story. That's the story. And, and I think that that's one of the stories that we'll see in sort of like a, you know, a post game report when it comes to this is that you got a lot of governors and mayors that were put in this really crappy position with COVID because there's either, you're either going to be seen as incompetent and a failure, or you're going to be seen as a success. There's no middle ground with this, right? So you're balancing public health versus the economy. And yeah, it's, these, I would not want to be an elected official anywhere in the country that had to deal with this. My hat's off to everybody that's ever had to go through this, whether you fell on the side I agree with or not. Having to deal with the complexity of this, I think, is really showing how dysfunctional we are as a society when it comes to chipping in and, and having a common a source, uh, you know, having a common good, a goal. I have seen some very disturbing <laughs> graphs of the United States. <gasps> Shocking graphs have to do with political boundaries and colors. No, in which states did what mm-hmm. leading up to COVID, and and when, when you and, and this is this is by the, like the Atlantic and some of these high, Harvard Business Journal. These are trying to be like sterile, just type of things. Yeah, and when you look at it, there's there's no way to not look at it. Like wow, even didn't matter what state it was, each governor was really political with this thing. I mean. The, the blue states, they, they, they used it to try to t- get Trump out. The Dude, red states tried to ram home the economy. I mean, like, it didn't even matter. No, it didn't. Both sides were insensitive. Both sides were using it to their advantage. And, and nobody just, wanted to take responsibility. I mean, I think uh, every governor 
a Republican or Democrat was hoping that the president was going to come out and equivocally say one way or the other, we're doing it this way or we're doing it this way. We're shutting down completely or we're not. And what you were left with instead was 50 governors and however many thousands of mayors trying to figure it out on their own. They were hoping someone else would take the responsibility. What what I found just remarkable was... The, Pass the buck, man. Anybody who decide that would ask a question why or how did we get like this they were the ones that were lambasted mm-hmm. they were the ones that were all of a sudden now scarlet lettered because they were like what what do you mean so i i just because i ask how that's it yeah i mean and and you're gonna like attack me you're gonna come at me you know i mean like these are just regular people these are just middle class folks that are trying to figure out how to homeschool their kid all of a sudden because they got 14 emails a day coming from the school system well, we all spent, or I'd say most of us spent the last year finding out just how hard it is to homeschool. Your your example about having to, to, to leave here last week to go get your kid from school mm-hmm. was a perfect example of what's going on. Yeah. A very simple thing five, ten years ago where your, your, your daughter cut herself in school, minor cut, nothing big. Yeah. But because of the new fear, because of the new day and age we're at from a lot of different angles... You had to go get her. Well, you know, part of the problem is, is that the uh, the nurse floats around between a couple of different schools with COVID and everything else. She wasn't able to be there. Okay, so Problem one, yeah. go on. Problem two is, you know, they felt like because she was so upset and that there was blood and this and that, that she should go home first and that if it was okay, then she could come back. So think about this for a second, mm-hmm. okay? No nurse, yet there's... Tons of money there that goes into funding a nurse. I was kind of surprised, actually, to learn that, yeah. There's now SRO officers or police officers in every single school in America, and they're not qualified to administer a Band-Aid? Okay? Are you kidding me? It makes me wonder. Hang on, hang on. Number three. You're on the soap. The amount of training that has gone into teachers, gym teachers, where injuries are normal, okay? There's not one teacher that can put on a Band-Aid? Number four. Hang on. Oh, no, we're still going here. They got mandatory training for administrators. So not only do you have a nurse that's on payroll, but she travels, so okay. But you've got an SRO officer, uh, a police officer, mm-hmm. who should be trained on how to administer a Band-Aid. You've got teachers that just probably not a bad idea to learn first aid. And you got administrators. Okay, you got four layers of government paid employees mm-hmm. that could not satisfy your daughter's new fear and regulations and policies that are now in a public school. That's what I'm looking at. And that's that what, yeah, because you know every one of them knows ago, how to do a Band-Aid. Dude, when I was a kid, the teacher would have spit on it, put a rag Rub around some it. on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the spit would have been the antibiotics Dude, because... I was in grade school and got a partial concussion because a kid on recess with a uh, golf club accidentally hit me on his backswing. I didn't go home. I walked around. The nurse said, walk it off, drink some water, go sit in class. Dude, I, don't, I, I went to a private Catholic school. They, they, they grabbed us and hung us on hooks in the locker room. <laughs> Seriously. They would hang us up to talk to us. Was that the, really? Oh, totally. Oh, Absolutely. They would, the, Mr. Heinley. Was oh, that the yeah, type of school where you that. got spanked for being good and being bad? <laughs> look at that it's the time well we're right up monday. against the clock folks monday we gotta go and take a break when we come back weird board games coming up here that is sterling my name is jason speech i'm feeling all right well, i'm doing okay i'm here for the moment you know
heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860 That's 866 866- Five three nine zero eight six zero. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey, folks, Jason Spies with the Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last twenty to thirty years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. We are here in the Industrial Forest Studios. Coming up a little bit later in our program, we're going to be joined by Andy Black, president of the Association of Pipelines on our Swan Energy phone lines. Our weekly sponsors, Titan Solutions and Great American Mining Company. Of course, you can certainly go to the crudelife.com and check out the links for their websites, as well as our show page, which has all the guests and information and links and what we're talking about and segments and everything else. All right. And what, oh, uh, the Crude Life daily update for the radio here on the podcast. <laughs> the Crude Life daily update we do for the radio here on the podcast. Recorded right. live for the radio. Right, right. Exactly. Live. Uh, Dwayne Ferris. BC, that's Black Creek, canine pipeline leak detection. So putting dogs to work. Fantastic. Uh, a little later in the program. Think you can get Frackleberry Hound on that program? I, You know, Frackleberry Hound was uh, wrestling with the canine pipeline leak detection dogs at the Bakken barbecue. We oh. got a, we got a video of that. They were <laughs> they were it was a melee. It was sort of a standoff, right? Yeah, yeah. well, Frackleberry Hound, she's a lover. She's <laughs> she's not a fighter, she's a lover. She's a lover. She likes to make lots of noise, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, so what do we got here? Oh, board games. That's yeah. what we're going to do right now. Hilariously way, bad board games. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies, and we thought we'd uh, mix it up a little bit because it's the holiday time. And In fact, I was talking with a friend of mine, Brad, who does the voice work here. Mm-hmm. Brad, the voice guy. The Crude Life is sponsored by. Such a great voice. He's got old Radio Sam voice. Elliott voice. Yeah, totally. Very guttural. Yep. Marlboro man, we call him. That's what happens yeah. when you smoke two packs a day. You get a voice like Brad. It's a beautiful thing, though. Well, him and his wife, uh, they're, they're in their, you know, their senior citizens are retired. Right. 
They uh they they play board games. A uh, backgammon they're playing right now. They're big into backgammon right now. So that can get brutal. Yeah, and they play to a hundred. So what they've been doing through their whole marriage, pretty much. Okay, and they got a great and marriage. They're still married. They're still married. <laughs> they they keep score to a hundred. So the first one to hundred gets a gift from the loser oh. up to a fifty dollar value. Nice. Right. Oh, okay. So. I've done that with past relationships because I thought, what a great way to pass time, and you've got a game in the game. You've incentivized. You've inceptionized. Inceptionized. Because <laughs> it's a game within the game within you've the game. You've monetized it. Right? So there's the chance of a gift. There's good. But then the gift is a third, because right. then you're playing for the prize. And be, you, you're playing it with your spouse, so there's always the opportunity, too, for I had snuggling a, and loving. I had a roommate in college that said uh, he would never date a girl for long term or consider marrying that he did not play cards with because his theory was just spot on. He goes, you get to see their true personality. <laughs> he goes, you get it, you know, because when you're playing, you, you small talk. Yeah. How, how good are they at small talk? Mm-hmm. Okay. And how brutal are they? How competitive are mm-hmm. they? How exactly. ruthless. How, and so I, I've always thought of that. And so I do play a lot of cribbage. You know, board games bring out those types of things. When I was growing up, my parents used to have risk parties and I swear to God, risk is probably one of those games that can break up marriages. Risk. You got to start making like side rules that you can't have alliances and all kinds of things. Like we had to actually, whenever we played, we opened up, uh, is it Kamechka? Whatever the most, uh, Eastern Soviet, the one that connects to the United States. Yeah. We actually had to open that up to to Australia. To make it more... To make it... Yeah, because whoever got Australia won every time. Right. They would just fortify, just fortify. Just turtle up and... Exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, just one smooth move after yeah. everybody took each other out. And I swear to God, whoever got Australia within our group of friends that would play would always win. And that's pretty much a random draw at the beginning, right? Yeah, it's exactly yeah. right. Whoever kind of has two or three mm-hmm. of the five or four, if you incl- whether you're including Siam or not. Right. You know. <laughs> Who wants to forget about Siam? Well, it's not Australia, but you got to fortify Siam because there's otherwise that's the only way to get to it. Yeah. So one road leads to Australia. Well, we, we made it two. So in a monopoly, there's free parking. Mm-hmm. Whether people allow people to have free parking money or not, we say yeah. We always played the free. All of the uh, the the money that you had to pay on taxes and stuff like that goes in the pot. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So sometimes you'd hit like twenty five hundred, three thousand bucks. We would do the same thing. We called it the lottery. Mm-hmm. That was just like the lottery system in life. So anyway, so that- here's some weird board games that you may or may not have remembered. Okay, now. I, I'll, let's start with one that I think we all remembered if we were, you know, from the day because they brought it back, mm-hmm. okay? And I forget, it was in 1989? I pulled it up. Let me just, one second here. It is 1989, it was. So in 1989, they debuted Trump the Game. Ha! Developed by real estate tycoon Donald Trump. Like Monopoly, the object is to make the most money. But unlike Monopoly, the smallest denomination is $10 million, and each (laughs) bill bears Trump's face. Trump explained, I wanted to teach business instincts. It's great if they can learn that from a game instead of having to do it without going out and losing your shirt. (laughs) That, of course, was before Trump lost his own shirt, because he did lose quite a bit. It was a crazy commercial for that game, too, I remember. Well... 
I'm looking at the Wikipedia page because they reintroduced it in 2004. Okay, after he did the, uh, the uh, apprentice. apprentice, yeah, and it had the tagline "I'm back and you're fired, Trump the game." Okay, <laughs> so it was introduced in 1989 and sold poorly, with only 800,000 copies when they expected two million to so- sell. So sounds pretty. There's typical. a failed game, Trump. The game. <laughs> Who later? Think about that. Well, it was like Monopoly, but more brutal. I mean, it was, you know, it was, I remember the tagline was something like, it's not whether you win or lose, it's whether you win. You would, know, I mean, it was. Would Trump be our first mascot president or Ronald Reagan? You know, it's funny when I was, when we were growing up, the idea of Ronald Reagan was considered kind of absurd because he was his actor. He was an actor. He, he was a guy oh, totally. that did the, the, what was it, the Sears or the. And he yeah, was like a he was radio like a guy, mid level actor. He yeah. wasn't even a good actor. No, he was a B B lister. Yeah, yeah, not yeah B. Yeah, yeah. pretty much a B lister, like a but, Fred Thompson. Yeah, and a former Democrat. But you know, you look at uh, what happened with that, and he's iconic. So yeah, Trump is probably the first. Well, he was a mascot. Reality t- the reality show. Right, yeah. right. I mean, and that's why going back to Eric Hatch, who's mm-hmm. a real estate guru. Hatch Realty. He's the largest real estate company in North Dakota. He's in the top 60 in the United States. He calls himself a mascot. So it's not derogatory at all. It's just that even Trump would say he knows he's a mascot in his empire. Well, yeah. I mean, from starting from the board game to uh, to the apprentice, to celebrity apprentice, to the presidency. I mean, uh, watching him go through the primary was like watching Survivor. You know, it, it was, it was, it, it was like nothing you've ever seen before. Yeah. You know? Although I really like your idea of doing like a Royal rumble somewhere in the primary, like the third debate. Great. <laughs> I think it'd be fantastic to do that. Do you remember Dr. Ruth? I do. So Dr. Ruth, uh, she had a game. Yes. She was, she <laughs> was sex the, game? she was the sex doctor sex. for years and years. Yes, Dr. Ruth. Yes. And she was very specific before Dr. Phil. Like mm-hmm. Dr. Phil kind of took over a lot of that different stuff, you know, the relationships and even tackled into that sex area. Not as much know? fun though, was this little old Jewish woman talking about sex. Dr. Ruth was, was kind of like, yeah. She, she was like she, your grandma. So based on her sexual advice talk show, couples play the game trying to accumulate arousal points in, <laughs> in quest of mutual pleasure. <laughs> I played a game like this called Twister. Two to four couples could play, but only consenting adults over 21 were allowed to buy it. I, I, out of all the different meetings I'd like to be a part of, any one of the Dr. Ruth's Westheimer's Game of Good Sex board game, I would have loved to be a part oh, of that Oh, man, meeting. that's You know, I don't think I've ever heard of a board game that had a, an age restriction <laughs> on it, and it's Dr. Ruth. That's awesome. There would not have been a bad like, idea like in you, that let's do it you right, bet right there's probably no age limit if there's a game based on saw or hostile or one of those other slasher movies but if it's a dr ruth sex game right exactly grand theft auto as long as you can see over the till you're okay as long as, what was the old joke if down in mexico you said the kid had to buy the booze because right. if they could if they could see over the, the counter, counter they're man. old enough yep. you know? if you had to be this high <laughs> that's a, that's in Colorado. All right, let's see. What we got Mafia the game. Now that sounds like fun. Grand Theft that, Auto, right there, man. I bet that would do well today. Yeah. So the purpose of the game was to gain control of the Sicilian airports, real estate, construction projects, banks, and drug trade. So it took place in Italy. Well, sounds we should like just call this CIA. 
All right, the rules of, <laughs> the rules call for each family assisted by henchmen to move around the map of Sicily selling heroin and eluding the police. This was a board game. When did this come out? The Italian-made board game caused considerable controversy That's in its shocking. native country. That is absolutely fantastic. We got to find a copy of that and Dr. Ruth, man. I, do you think that eBay. any of those are on eBay? I'm checking. Man, that would be... I got one. So, by the way, Mafia was 1986. Okay. That's when that came out. You talk about bad board games. I'd never even heard of this one, but it came out in 1981. It's called Capital Punishment. You win by getting all four of your criminals into life imprisonment, death row, or the electric chair. That's fantastic. That's how you win. That's how you win. You beat the opposition by getting their criminals away from the path of justice and back on the street where they can murder more innocent victims. This sounds like a bunch of lawyers with guilty <laughs> conscience trying to figure out how to oh, channel this man. stuff. Like, okay, we've executed way too many people that we know about. How can we feel better about ourselves? It almost It's like a prison system training guide, man. <laughs> Or how about this? This game came out in 1975, The Sinking of the Titanic. The goal is to no, escape actually, the sinking sound, ship. That sounds fantastic. That sounds really like a good board game. But okay, listen, what is it? The goal is to escape the sinking ship. That makes sense, right? But then you have to get enough food and water from nearby islands. <laughs> I don't remember that part. So the last player standing wins, and everybody else leaves with a very confused history lesson. All right, ready for this board game? Let's have it. In 1986, two Boston-based entrepreneurs manufactured this game. Now, what do we know about Boston? What do they have a lot of in Boston? Beer. They have a lot of beer. Rocks. They have a lot. What? Uh, or they huck batteries. I think that's the, that's Philadelphia. That's, oh, that's Philly. That's yeah, Philadelphia. It's called a Philadelphia I, snowball. <laughs> Okay. Boston, you got the Celtics, you got uh, clams, you got lobster, what? Right, and you started talking like a certain dialect, I noticed, too. Yeah, it's Wicked Doc. Right, so who talks like that in Boston? The Irish, right? Right. And Irish Catholics. So there's a lot of Catholics in uh, in Boston, right? So, of course, in 1986, two Boston-based entrepreneurs manufactured the game called Is the Pope Catholic? (laughs) (laughs) players move around the board trying to attain the rank of pope among the obstacles or temptations along the way nipping at the holy wine squandering the church's money on candy small miracles help players out a winner is declared when a cloud of white smoke is sent (laughs) it's a a pope game are you kidding me is when the cardinal sends the white cloud of smoke Electing the Pope. That is now that that sounds like with my Catholic family. I think I just committed some blasphemy here on a Monday morning just reading that. (laughs) That was technically witchcraft. Just reading the description of that. What is that all about? You could you imagine the outcry on something like that? But it came out. I mean, it was real. It was. I wonder how successful a game like that was. That is. I mean, seriously, (sighs) back in the eighties, though, when when. They were still considering whether to have Thanksgiving football. Right. Because that would be immoral. So you come out with it, is the Pope Catholic game? I bet I bet there were some blue hairs that got oh, a heart man. attack. Yeah, that's holy smokes. Well, you know, it's like most of the people I've known that are that are really devout Catholics, there there's a certain affinity. They can talk trash on the Pope, 
you cannot talk trash on the Pope. The game is available on Amazon, Still? by the way. It is. <laughs> it is available on Amazon for, it looks like, do, 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 a hundred and thirty-seven dollars on moly. eBay. Never mind. So it's not available on Amazon because it's sold out. Now, but here, yeah, on eBay. Yeah. This sounds like one I want to get. This is from nineteen sixty-four. It mm-hmm. was called Big Funeral because who among Big us hasn't funeral. thought that funerals are so much fun? I could wish I could make them part of a family game night. Was that the original name for Six Feet Under? <laughs> <laughs> big funeral. Big, big love. Big I mean, big funeral. Yeah, big All funeral, right. big love. Yeah. So uh, one of the objects was to make your friends look cheap by sending them to Slob Hill in an orange crate coffin. Wow. I got to see if that one's out. Here's another one. Twinkies and Trolls. <laughs> wait a minute. Okay, wait. Is that is that a uh, is that a gay reference? or? It is. It is. It's a gay club it, uh, and, board game. Okay, so I didn't realize this. I should have read ahead here. The proprietors of Buddies, a well-known gay bar oh my in God, Boston, I was joking. invented the game in which they described it a light-hearted reflection of gay life and the gay lifestyle. Wow. Players came out of the closet, visit their first gay bar and baths in New York, San Francisco, and Fort Lauderdale. What? The object is to amass as many... Twinkies, which is gay slang for young, attractive preppy types, and avoid trolls, which is old, ugly, gay men. Wow. And that's, you know what? I guess, well, games can be teaching aid, right? I'm just absolutely dumbfounded. Yeah, I had no idea. That this game was even around. And uh, in today's day and age, it would get so much negative PR, it would sell out. Yeah, well, that's the thing nowadays is that you can you can almost count on a sellout on something that provokes or provokes controversy. Here's an interesting one. I do not think would sell well in day, today's day and age because it's probably a little bit too smart. It's called class struggle. Class struggle. The board game the class rich. struggle. People are like, I'm living it, pal. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to play a game. Yes. I want this to, is my life. I want to play it. Was it life? Yeah. Or, or what's the Oh, life was great, man, because right. you all ended up with something, and you got to sell your kids at the end. <laughs> you got to sell your kids. <laughs> so class struggle was uh, uh, by a Marxist professor at New York University. He invented the game. The object is to win the revolution. And each player represents a different class of society. Well, that actually sounds actually kind of cool. Ullman later wrote a book about his experience in marketing the game. It was called Class Struggle is the Name of the Game, True Confessions of a Marxist Businessman. Well, that's an oxymoron right there, a Marxist businessman. That's like military intelligence, right? Yeah. Right? But, you know, it, it, it gets your attention, though. No, it is. In fact, I, I do like the idea of you know, a, a different class of society you know kind of the mob it's like a mob rules game a little it's like risk but instead of countries you just have ideologies or you have you know social causes that's all it is it's it's a risk of social causes so it's interesting to see all of these weird kind of games that came out in the 60s and 70s and even 80s that uh, you'd never see today i don't think this would be a very fun game to play. It sounds kind of boring. Yeah. It's, well, it's no. A little, the, little, the, dry, it, little dry. The, the, the passions that would come out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, do we really need another game or something that makes us angry? Well, like, okay. So <laughs> to think about it, the different classes you'd have, okay, in today's day and age, mm-hmm. right? You'd have, uh, oh, who wants to be the LGBTQ TVs? Right. Right. Okay. Right, yeah. who, who wants to be the poor? Yeah. Is the middle class? Okay. Who wants to be the rich? 
Like, like seriously, yeah, no, who, who wants to be the rich in the game Class Struggle? Because everybody does, but you don't want to start out that way. Yeah. Because you got nowhere to go but down. There was there was there was a not to. Do we have a minute? There was oh, yeah, there was a there was a show two. on. Uh, I think it was a PBS show, and this is like a decade or so ago. It was when um, Downton Abbey was first starting and really popular, right? And so what it was is a reality <laughs> show. It was a reality show set in Edwardian times, England, right? So this is a time period from the late 1890s or so to about World War One, mm-hmm. same time of Downton Abbey. And so they took you know people that applied for the the show and they gave them different positions. So one family became the 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 Manor family, the lords. Other people became the servants, the butler, the head cook, the scullery maid, and they had to live as those roles and play those roles. And at the end, they had this sort of party where they got together and there was an incredible amount of resentment from all of the servants and cooks towards the family because they were acting their part, Hmm. you know? And so, yeah, you talk about a class struggle, but it was all of these people came from, in fact, some of the cooks were actually probably more financially well off in the real world than the family that was playing that role. But as soon as they assumed those roles, they just, they bought into it. The people that had power totally liked having power and well, used of course. it. Yeah. But it was just kind of interesting to see how quickly that worked. I was just thinking as you were talking about that, the downtown Abbey, and you mentioned the Titanic earlier. Boy, that Marxist game could be done on a boat and in a a house. (laughs) I mean, you've got... Think about it. eggs and ham, man. Well, you've got seven different classes right there, from the the poor to the middle class to the rich to the servants to the the homosexuals to the B to the Qs to the the alphabet people. You're right. You know what? You think about it, almost every game from Candyland to life is really about class struggle. How about this one? All those gingerbread people there (laughs) sucking off the system. They don't pay for that frosting. Dude, they, they, I'm Look at all the entitlements of the lollipop land. (laughs) They start you at a young age. What do you got? So did you ever play Spin the Bottle? I did. Okay. Apparently, this was an actual game that they put out and they sold in stores. Spin Mm -hmm. the Bottle, 1960. On the cover, it's got a happy family all spinning the bottle. So it's a flirty game Genius. that you play with your mom and dad. That whoa, sounds whoa, like fun. Whoa, 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 what, what, what now? This is like, what? They, they marketed Spin the Bottle for families? They marketed Spin the Bottle for families. So I'm guessing like the whole kissing Incest part of it. USA? <laughs> I mean, it was the 60s, man. What was, what was the, okay, what did you do if you spun the bottle? It looks like it was things like you have to five? stand on your one foot for, oh, okay. you know, that kind you of just, stuff. It's a truth and dare. Yeah, I don't think it was going to the closet for five minutes with Uncle Earl. Five minutes? <laughs> Wait, I know you don't need that much time, but come on. Fifteen minutes. <laughs> Please. Well, you got any more? Because I, I, I got some All good right, ones. All right, so here's, here's a board game for you. Are you ready for this one? Hit me. Nuke, the last game on earth. I think I played that. Developed by two architects, Chris Corday and Steve Weeks. The game divides, excuse me. The game gives players the chance to be world leaders deciding the fate of the world. If they can't work out their problems, <laughs> no the problem. world is destroyed. <laughs> so what you've got is actually EMP effects. Okay. So the, I mean, the thing about this, this game was what back in the seventies, eighties, probably eighties with electromagnetic nuke. pulse. That's pretty advanced, though. Mm-hmm. EMP effect and doomsday time limit is in this game, and I'm at the um, game boardgamegeek.com is where I'm looking. That's a good at, one. So. Oh, you know this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
and they're talking about it, of course. And uh, players command conventional armies, ocean fleets, intra and intercontinental weapons to make combinations of land, sea, and airborne attacks. This sounds a lot like Risk with uh, nuclear weapons. It sounds to me like War Games with Matthew Broderick. Yes, or even even what's the other uh, Access and Allies? Access and yeah, that's another one I played. Popular yep. game here. Yep. All right, here's another one for you. Frackleberry Hound has gotten into her Chewy Paw toys. In 1989, a Lebanese entrepreneur successfully marketed the game about the United States what? Constitution. What's Lebanese entrepreneur. You know, you think about it. They come over and they got to learn uh, the, the civil service tests and, you yeah. know, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, they typically know more about our immediate <laughs> civic history than we do. Was there's it about so the Constitution? Much, there's so much more American than we are, aren't uh, they? Well, if, uh, you're, if you're an American, you're either uh, a native or an immigrant. Right. And if you're an immigrant, <laughs> you're really well educated on the history. Seriously, you are. That's what no, they teach No, I mean, a lot all of us, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. So anyway, uh, a Lebanese entrepreneur in 1989 successfully marketed the game Civil War based on the country's internal turmoil. Based on her Lebanese country's turmoil or the U.S. Civil War? The United States. I was going to say, around that time, Lebanon was going through a civil war. So it rewarded such strategies as reselling products sent as internationals. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, you're right. It was about the Lebanese yeah. Civil War. Yeah. Here, I, I, I misread. So it's talking about selling, reselling products to international assistants, taking hostages, mm-hmm. but you get dock points for getting stuck in fallout shelters oh, during heavy bombardment. Yeah, dude. When I lived in in Saudi Arabia in the early '80s, that was that was the big news. You know, was the uh, uh, the bombing of the Marine barracks in Lebanon. In the early 80s, like 200 and some U.S. Marines killed. And that city was always portrayed as basically just, it was like the apocalypse. Boy, this game, this board game just has just modern day America written all over it. Kim Kardashian America written all over it. Ready for this? (laughs) Yeah. It's only money. Ha! More than 25 major companies like Porsche, Seagram's, MasterCard paid $30,000 a piece in 1989 to have their products promoted in this game. Each company got a storefront. On the board were players or shoppers. Shoppers. Browsed in bustling shopping malls trying to avoid crowds on escalators. The game's creator, Eric S. Medney, Describe the game as delivering corporate messages to the entire family while they're having fun. So this was the <laughs> just the most spun spin way to say product placement, folks. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, that sounds like a grand old time, man. It's we're like not, my... we're not quite ready to give up on Mad Money yet. <laughs> I mean, that's all this is is yeah, Mad Money. Mad Money. This is this is season two of Mad Money oh, right man. here, right? Just. All right, you got another one there? Yeah, most of the ones ones I'm looking at are kind of older, but I was thinking of this one that my wife, or at the time my girlfriend when I met her, she had still had this from when she was in grade school. Mall Madness, Mm -hmm. 1989. It had the electronic voice that tells you where all the sales in the mall are, and if you run out of money, you just go to the bank and get more. The first person to buy six items and make it to the parking lot wins. I remember not long after we started dating, we played with this and pretended it was like a zombie apocalypse in a mall and you had to get to the parking lot. Made it way more fun. But I love the materialism of it. 
We read a lot about the bankruptcies happening mm-hmm. in today's day and age. You got to remember, there was a day and age when you could not file bankruptcy and just come back. Yeah. That was it. Your company was done. Well, you were okay? a pariah afterwards. And because your company was done and so many people would put their heart and soul into their companies, they would do what? They would take their own lives. Suicide. Oh they my, would are you a lot kidding of times. Me? Okay. So, well, because of what you said, if, if somebody had a bankrupt business, they were mm-hmm. a pariah. A bank didn't want anything to do with you. Your friends didn't want anything to do with you. A lot of times your wife left you for their business partner that stole mm-hmm. money from you. All kinds <laughs> of different things. Okay? Well, it was much more of a black mark back in the day. Nowadays, CEOs and executives that go and, and take companies into bankrupts, they get bonuses. It's an escape hatch. But no, but they... Yeah, it's a sanctioned escape hatch. There are executives who lead companies into bankruptcies who get bonuses, Mm -hmm. okay? Think about this. 30 years ago, the board game bankruptcy, okay? This was the norm. Yep. Bankruptcy. Here's the board game. The object is to acquire as many companies as possible without going into bankrupt. That's, That's... that's the American dream, right? Yeah, and if you're if you're a Gordon Gecko bye, bye, bye. type of Wall Street entrepreneur mm-hmm. and Henry Ford, whatever, you want to go and, and just consume, 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 right? Those conglomerates right. where they would just chew up, absorb companies. Yeah. So if you do declare bankruptcy, what do you think this board game has you do? Uh, commit suicide. You get to play Russian roulette with a revolver supplied by a toy gun included with the game. You're kidding me. If the gun pops out, you're out. Oh, man. If it doesn't, you're in the game still. Wow. The inspiration of the game, Victor Smith, its its creator said, I was on the edge of bankruptcy when the idea hit me. (laughs) Folks, there we go. 30 years ago, you were thinking about suicide. Now, bankruptcies, quid pro quo, baby. Yeah, yeah, you can see how much of a dark place we've come from. But we've got out of that darkness to where now you get bailed out by the government because they don't want people committing bankruptcy. We got to get too big to fail, man. We got to bankrupt this show. (laughs) We got to bankrupt this show. (laughs) All right. So, all right, folks, that's going to do it for this segment of Board Games here. We come back. It's time for the news. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies. The Crude Life, play hard, work hard, is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. <laughs> Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play oh, hard, Monday. work hard. We are... <laughs> oh, finally, I'm in a good mood. It took me a while. Well, I was just dragging ass this morning a little bit. You know, we got a coffee. Last week, Maxwell's, you know, you didn't make it. You had uh, family uh, issues you had, to, had to attend adult. to. Which you had to adult. You yes. had to do some adulting. Domestic duties. Mm-hmm. Dad job. I, of course, got to enjoy Maxwell's fine dining, the dinner that was there. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful salmon I had. And I'm not even a big salmon guy. But I just napkins. Felt like having some seafood, some fish that evening, as well as the fresh. seared ahi tuna. And this is all... Shipped in, right? This is all shipped fresh. Shipped in. Boom. Thank you very much. Fossil fuels, yeah. petroleum from the ships that catch the salmon to the oh, rocket, rocket fuel that gets it here <laughs> overnight. I'm telling you what, man, when it comes to... Because we're landlocked here. When it comes to the geographical center of North America, I want rocket fuel shipping my sushi wonder, and fish in. We, I, don't, I don't want no UPS, yeah, man. Yeah, you don't want to be no like Amazon a delivery. I want rocket delivery. fuel. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you to the Industrial Forest for being our studio sponsor here. Big things happening with the Industrial Forest. Meeting with the mayor of Bismarck and the That's forestry big. department this that week. That is huge. We're going to be talking about the next steps there. Of course, we're going to, the Frackleberry Hound is going into she's, her treat toys. Yeah, she's in her chewy paws. So, uh, That's interesting. I got a news item that will tie into that Industrial Forest we'll get to in a little bit here, too. Yeah, in fact, we can get to that in just a second. Swan Energy is our phone line sponsor. Andy Black is going to be our guest after this segment in the Work Hard portion of the program. This, of course, is Play Hard, Work Hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. Jenica Hauser, our Crude Life correspondent, will be doing the interview with Andy Black. She does a fantastic job. She has an interview lined up with the governor of Wyoming on Wednesday this week, which we will be airing Thursday. Also, our weekly sponsors, Titan Solutions and the Great American Mining Company. They're mining Bitcoin in the Northern Hemisphere. For those of you operators out there who would like to mine some Bitcoin like Russia is doing now. They're perfectly set up to do that, too. Perfectly sane thing to do. (laughs) Also, uh, Titan Solutions as our sponsors and Dwayne Ferris with BC canine pipeline leak detection will be our crude life daily update on the radio for the podcast. Okay. Now let's get to our news. So, okay. This is uh, Elon Musk. We just can't seem to, to skip a day without this guy making some news. But how are we idol worshiping and putting him him up on a pedestal dude, there's today? No, I do not pedestal this guy, but he does seem to have a pretty good idea on what to do about oil and gas. He's like so, Leonardo DiCaprio and George Clooney wrapped into one person. 
yeah, I think I think both those guys have better hair than he does. But anyway, so remember last week we were talking about him using oil and gas that existed on his property to, to create rocket fuel, right. right? Now he's turning rigs, oil rigs, into floating spaceports. So check this out. What do you mean by that? He has bought two offshore oil rigs and will convert them into floating spaceports for use on future missions to the moon and Mars. He did that a while ago, right? He bought them a little while ago? Some company um, going to they the were, bankruptcy. He purchased the rigs for $3.5 million each last year from Valera shortly before the offshore rig filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Yeah. So they're named Phobos and Deimos after the two Martian moons. The oil drilling sites, uh, apparently there's nothing happening with them now. Stop for a second. Pause. Boom. We're now in Newspeak, okay? We're now into the Orwellian Newspeak of the media. What was the name of these oil wells? Because the oil well I visited last week, Mm -hmm. Neighbors 847, that was the name of it. The name of the company. Actually, I made that up. but no, (laughs) a cooler sounding name. No, but when when you go to an oil well, okay, when when you go visit a well pad, it's the name of the company and they're assigned a number. That makes okay. sense. Just a designation. So this is why Elon Musk is idol worshipped, okay? Because humans love stories. And I've said this before. If if you want to make sure that a highway gets funded, you name it. Highway 85, which goes from the Bakken mm-hmm. down to South Dakota, okay? Runs all the way from Spearfish, I, I-90, okay? I-90, which is a very big artery yeah, in the Midwest. Yeah, it's a huge arterial okay? road there. So to have that go up to Williston and, and Belfield and Watford City is 85. Well, they called it the Theodore Roosevelt Memorial Highway. Okay? If you want a bridge, if you want things to be funded, you give it a name. That's why they tell scientists, don't name the bear. The rat that you're going to dissect, don't name it. Don't attach a oh, human. Oh, yeah, don't give it a human yeah, name. Don't give it don't a human. Anthrop- yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't emote. You're, this is a sterile thing here. If you're Elon Musk, though, you can both afford to and feel completely justified in putting your name and face on everything. He, he's a younger version of what Richard Branson was. Yeah, I, I think sort of that you know 21st century version of. Well, totally. Yeah. I mean, I've always said that if, if, if I was going to be a billionaire, I would, be a really good billionaire. I would be the eccentric billionaire that yeah wanted to go to the bottom of the ocean i'd buy an island mm-hmm. i would i would do all kinds of crazy stuff well, why not and but at the same time i'd want to be you know i wouldn't blow my money yeah so i'd be a lot like in my mind i'd like to think like richard branson which is he's not only gonna go and dive in the ocean he's looking for treasure now you're talking see well then it's an adventure right because not now it's you're not gambling. a hobby you're it's gambling now yeah. it's okay because yeah. that was justified right now, now it's cool we're back to one of your okay, little loves so there what's what's the uh, uh idol worshiping of elon musk doing he named his oil wells okay what did he name his oil wells they are named after the two martian moons phobos oh. and demos so we're going into mythology well okay so we're piggybacking other people's stories he's, he's talking about God, you know eventually really good. trying to get He's talking about 100,000 people on Mars by, by 2050. Elon Musk is Michael Scott from The Office. He's regurgitating other people's stuff to pass it off on his own because that was, that was his bit. Mm-hmm. He did that to make fun of people like Elon Musk. No. Tesla. Tesla is probably the greatest mind on the planet Earth. Right, when you hear the name Tesla. Like the actual Tesla who died penniless, yeah. who got stuff ripped off. 
Well, he's the guy who came up with all the modern stuff we're using today, which is wireless energy. That's what we're you. That's what the internet is: is wireless energy. That's what what our new cell phones are being charged right, by. Right. That's all Tesla's stuff. Okay. Well, that was all ripped off from him in Colorado, all the way down to Florida. Okay. So, what does Tesla? What does Elon Musk do? Takes his name. Yeah, because it has sort of a mythology behind it too. Totally. You know, I mean, you you think. Oh about- no, Tesla is one of the most respected minds mm-hmm. of all time because he got ganked and screwed over. Well. It- it's I don't know a ton about him, but a lot of the stuff I have read, I was I get the impression of like a mad scientist, but he's like for good instead of evil. Right, right. I mean, he, he was coming up with some outlandish things back in the day that are only now more relevant. Wireless technology, you know, his I think technology was direct current, right, versus what we have. Right, you know, AC DC alter yep. between alternate and current direct. Current. Right, but but he didn't have the the big powerhouse behind him. He right. didn't have the money behind him. Right, yeah, and so that's why that it comes out it came out now that. You know, he was basically the whipping boy that everybody just kept stealing ideas from. Everybody likes him as the underdog. Mm-hmm. So what does Musk do? Grabs a great mind who's considered an underdog. That's what I'm saying. He's Michael Scott from The Office, the way Michael Scott just does impressions. So what does do he do? Do you think we're giving him too much credit? Do you think he might actually be just like it's a loving reference to the 1980s rock band? You remember Tesla? I love Tesla. Dude. They were we could be the, overthinking this. Okay, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent. Love song? Uh, Tesla may be the most underrated band of the 80s. Because, Absolutely. Because of their, they, Absolutely. They, they were so musically talented Absolutely. that it actually was it worked against them. When you, when you and not to go on your tangent, but when you listen to Five Man Acoustical oh, Jam, oh, that's when you realize, oh, dude, these guys aren't just a hair metal band. They are a band. They, they, they are a rock and blues band. Absolutely. Okay, we can't Rhythm, get yeah, off okay. on that. Anyway. Day. So, what's, so what else has Musk got going on? So Okay, so basically he's got these things and he's going to be using them as, as mobile or offshore launch pads in the future for trips to mars the moon anything like that so about all they have right now are the steel structures that held the drilling equipment and nameplates yeah elon, <laughs> elon musk is great everybody should learn from him i got it yep, so okay. they make a note that the There's nameplates no the nameplates have already been installed so basically it's a big <laughs> pr story to basically mirror the fact that he bought oil wells or the fact that it, one of his rockets recently exploded after takeoff. And there was that, too. That's what I mean. This guy is idol-worshipped by everybody. He cannot do any wrong. Yeah, you know, it's weird. So is he going to launch from there? That's the idea. So what, we're just okay with him scorching the ocean? Oh, I think the ocean will be okay. Is, is these, we, We've spent are, the last couple decades lubricating the Gulf. It's fine. Are these oil wells... <laughs> I'd be more afraid it lights are, on fire. Are these dude. oil wells going to melt when he takes off? Do we have to worry about that? No, apparently, it's, from, a, from an engineering point of view, it's ideal because of its remoteness, and it's more likely to not have to worry about uh, you know overflights and other things like that. So, What, is, what does the uh, Sierra Club say about this? You know, it's interesting. There what does Greta say about there this? There does not appear right now to be any pushback back what does a climate activist say about this there's nothing now they did they there was a climate group in in texas that was up against his rigs on his own land there's a climate group in texas (laughs) yeah that's ballsy right that's (laughs) (laughs) that might be the cojones of the week there's a climate group in texas holy crap you should meet with them i gotta interview that guy (laughs) 
undescribed. I'll tell you what, I'm sure I'll be. They'll have a blindfold around me and circled around different blocks because you got to know the secret handshake, right? Holy, yeah. sw- could you imagine trying to be a climate group in Texas? Yeah, they know. have to be in Austin. Yeah, probably. Probably living under it's, du- it's some dumpster a, or something. Sort of a liberal oasis. Holy smokes, yeah. sir. What else is going on? Sorry. Okay, now this one will perk you right up. Fossil fuels aren't going anywhere. This is from oilprice.com. Is this from the Captain Obvious guy? Mm, yeah. What? The commercial? <laughs> Travongo? Or what was that? Who's the Captain Obvious hey, man, guy? man, you know, who are you to say that fossil fuels aren't going to evaporate tomorrow, right? That's science. So there is no scenario. Do you know my theory on that before we get into this, please, by the way? Please, please. Of course. That's so, why you pay me. People, you know, pe- people think, oh, he's pro-fossil fuel, he's pro-this, he's that. No, here's the deal. I love capitalism, okay? I like when capitalism really works. I love when uh, somebody can come up with a new idea, makes it work, he makes he makes honest money based on it, and then he gives back because the true capitalist gives back. The true capitalist understands how the ebbs and the flows and the currency Currency, again, currency. Currency. Okay. Currency is the flow of energy. Currency is the flow of energy. A true capitalist understands the flow of energy. That's why the trickle-down economics was supposed to work, okay? But we got a lot of people that do not understand how the currency and the flow of energy works, okay? Because that's all money is. Money is just shared energy at the end of the day. Yeah, we're, it, we're putting a price. To the tune to where we've, we've evaporated gold and and silver and and even paper dollars now Mm -hmm. so literally currency is now just electronic credits well like we were talking about with marty i think last week about that you know the transition away from the gold standard things like that yeah now it's it's the bitcoin it's the digital currencies we're totally going there so okay what was well you know i mean you're right because what they're basically saying stuff that's nothing new to anybody that pays attention to it but the chief executive of baker hughes Lorenzo Simonelli has been saying during a keynote speech at this year's annual meeting in the company that there is no scenario where hydrocarbons just disappear. These hopes and ambitions imagine a world where human activity is powered from electricity only, and this electricity in turn is being generated using only renewable energy sources, such as solar, wind, and hydropower. Such a world, however, is unrealistic. They use Germany as an example, a country which is among the UN members with the most renewable energy capacity, has not produced a single watt of solar energy since the start of this year. The reason? It's winter. It is producing solid amounts of wind power, for sure, but it is also generating power from fossil fuel coal. So basically, I think what they're talking about here is that there is no silver bullet solution to admissions when it comes to a renewable capacity. And that if you build a renewable capacity without adding additional substantial storage, it could actually backfire. Where's this story from? This is coming out of oilprice.com. So it has to come from an oil publication. Mm -hmm. It's not even the Huffington Post. No. It's not Associated Press. It's not Fox News, this MSNBC, This is from Marina Slav from oilprice.com. Right. This, this is from a business-to-business mm-hmm. type of news source. This isn't a judgment. This isn't an ideology. It, this is basically, oh, this te- is fact. It's a technical article. It's science, baby. So that's what bothers me, is that the previous story about Elon Musk is in the mainstream media, and it's all a story. Mm-hmm. It, it is not, there's, there's actually, there's, there's no fact, there was nothing of substance in there. Clickbait, I it, think, it, right? it was a Just guy fluff. who said, hey, let's do this. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the story. Well, that's the thing. If you're Elon Musk, you can wake up one morning and go, but, hey, let's do this. But there, if you're in the media, you have a responsibility, and the responsibility is to educate the public. And if you're in the media and you don't see that there's a polarized mentality out there, well, you should probably get out of the media. And that story from oilprice.com, you said, mm-hmm. very sterile, boring story. However, I think it's the headline's great. Yeah. And the headline says what? What's the headline again? That uh, fossil fuels aren't going anywhere. Fossil fuels aren't going anywhere. That is a very safe, that is a very accurate headline. What's the uh, the saying? You can't have renewables. But this is, you can't have renewables without fossil fuels. Fossil fuels, fuels, man. But this goes back to what I've been trying to say for a while now, in fact, several years, that what we're dealing with when it comes to the oil and gas world has nothing to do with government regulations because the government regulations are being controlled by the social regulations. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what we're dealing with are people that do not care about facts. They care about stories. It's it's emotion. They're more interested in the, in in the Elon Musk. What is he going to be doing? Mm -hmm. Okay. What is he going to be doing? They don't care what Germany just did. You, you can go back for me last summer or even last spring. I This is exactly what I was talking about because I was talking to individuals who were just coming back from Germany and they were saying when we left Germany, they were firing up the coal plants. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So Germany is the very first country to go green big time. Like we're all in green and we're going to show the world how to do it. And... Headlines across the board, Paris Agreement, everything. Well, when the actual push came to shove, they had to turn on the coal plants. Turns out they're burning trees to get biomass, which is considered green for some unknown reason. It's one of those boxes to be checked, man. Here's what this is. This is like the media doing a ton of stories on what you and I are going to spend our money on when we go to the casino and win. Uh, it's all about making you, it's, it's about getting an emotion. You know, the thing about Germany, from my point of view, is that they're actually, they seem to be doing a good job of actually a realistic green renewable mix because that's what you, that's what you want to have. The, the, the problem is I understand it with going all renewable, unless you have a lot of storage capacity is that you're talking about intermittent resources, solar, wind, what, right. As opposed to coal, which is burn that stuff. Well, this is where, this is where the problem is, is that either the public is not ready for the truth or the media feels they're not ready to give the truth because what should be happening right now is Germany should be the world's guinea pig mm-hmm. to say, hey, they screwed up here. They thought that burning a bunch of trees was going to work and not only did it not work, it backfired on them and now they had to fire up the coal plants. Oh, by the way, they also realized that their solar capabilities were way off, okay? And not demonize them to say, Listen, we're trying to learn, and they should be applauded for being the leader in this. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. They, 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 right. They're, they're, they're making the attempt, and they're, not, uh, they're realistic about it, I think. You know, and right, to say, listen, Germany's not going to, you know what, they'll probably bat 30% on this deal. Yep. And they're going to probably figure out that wind didn't work. Because what they're learning in Germany 
is that the insect populations are becoming decimated in the areas where they've got a lot of wind turbines. So not only are the bats <laughs> attracted to the wind turbines, so bats are getting knocked out left and right, which has an economic impact to agriculture because they control the pollination, okay? Mm -hmm. Birds, the government doesn't care about birds, okay? Government could give two shits about birds. Well, if it starts like eagles and They don't owls, even care about fine. eagles anymore no. because wind turbines have almost extinct the golden eagle in the Southwest, and Obama signed a law that said that it's okay for wind companies to kill eagles because so many wind wind companies were in court because they were killing eagles right. and all these all these uh, 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 activists were saying well that ain't fair so yeah. all these energy companies were in court where Obama said we can't have this right for the greater good okay it's funny how you they, they all these little carved out exceptions oh without a doubt you know? that's what that's what ultimately but, but makes it useless if if you go to anywhere in in, in Western North Dakota or in Wyoming or Colorado, the sage grouse, mm -hmm. you would think that is the most pedestaled bird on the planet. My goodness. <laughs> it's, it is more revered than the cow in India. Right. The sage grouse is, oh my. I have done more interviews with U.S. senators about the sage grouse Why than is anything. That? Because I have absolutely is no idea. Is it a majestic idea. bird? The sage grouse man? has the largest lobbyists since the NRA, man. Dude, that's weird. I wonder I mean, if there's, gotta, there's like this like secret sage grouse lobby, right? <laughs> Screw like, the Freemasons. The, <laughs> the sage grouse. Man, we got, are through the looking glass here. It's so Illuminati. <laughs> All of that from fossil fuels. Jeez. And there's trust me there's a lot of people dying of laughter about the whole more people have been fired by the sage grouse than i care to mention oh man has that just been a anyway so but in, in all all the reality though germany should be applauded for what they're trying to do which is germany's trying to figure out a way to do all the above yeah the problem is is that they're trying to create a narrative they're trying to create a narrative that says they have to go green. So if they're not green, then we got to just do a one-sided story or we got to do a one-sided look. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and, and I, I see it as the biggest problem is you need to just take accountability for the fact that true energy uh, efficiency over time is going to be a mix, right? And it's going to require using fossil fuels for probably the rest of our lifetime and maybe even beyond as you make these types of transitions. But you're never going to have a be in a position where it's going to completely go away. In fact, what I see and is what they're talking about in this article is it really the push is going to be for efficiency. It's going to be mm -hmm. about more and more efficiency. Listen, there was major earth changes coming in the 90s, okay, in 1995 actually, to be precise. And so it's very common for the government especially to jump on things that are already being done, momentums, if you will. You know, I brought up Y2K before. Yeah. Where, well, the government was the one that put the most fear out there. Well, they and, potentially had the most to lose. They were. I mean, it was banking. Remember, it was anyways. banking. It was. Yeah. It was records. It was. It was this fear that we were going to lose all of our identity. Yeah. Which, interestingly enough, most of us now would be like, sweet. But if if you go back and take a look at just the the headlines and just mm -hmm. the way that was handled, it's um you will feel embarrassed to even have thought that you fell for that. You didn't buy the Alex Jones. Do you honestly kit? believe that Citibank was not going to well, what do was what the they whole needed plot to of do office space? in order to fix a computer problem? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You really, Chase Morgan Bank is really going to allow that to happen? I mean, 
government get real yeah. and then afterwards they were the ones taking credit for it no it's it's interesting when you look at the studies that were done so that's why i'm saying when you take a look at this climate stuff it's like the same it's it's very similar hmm. because interesting connection the, well yeah yeah since the days of abraham lincoln we've been decarbonizing okay we we, we did not need the sierra club to tell us to decarbonize we do not need greta thunberg shaming us telling us that we can't do things. No, we we have figured this out. As a society, we almost extinct the whales because we wanted to have lights at night. Well, so seemed, we burned whale oil and hey, they, seal they oil. They were very useful. They were very useful, absolutely, okay? There was no but other we, known commodity. But our conscious inside of us, long before the Sierra Club came along, mm -hmm. said, you know what, let's not kill all the whales. That's a beautiful, majestic creature. and It's also our livelihood. And who knows? <laughs> maybe that 90% of oil that seeps out of the bottom of the ocean floor, somebody saw and said, why don't we use that? Well, that's you know that's my my problem with people that have just an innate distaste for anybody that's uh, you know into hunting. It's that's a commercial fisher person, you know, fisherman or whatnot. Is that they think that they're going out there and culling and with no regard. To a tomorrow, when in fact everybody I know that either hunts or has worked commercial fishing, it is all about sustainability because that's part of the business model. Mm -hmm. Is the fact that I'll be able to come out here next year and get the same type of stuff, you know? So it, it's weird what we villainize, you know? It's like it's easy to do it. It's easy to be like, oh, that's bad because it's oil and gas and it's coal and it's dirty and yuck. Now, to be fair, to both sides. They brought it on themselves. Oh, they do. Okay, it's now, just in whether you're or slap fest, whether man. you're Ducks Unlimited or your NRA, you originally sought out for the positive of a social exactly. cause. Okay, yeah. Ducks Unlimited, for example, was was really for a long time a very positive duck conservation. Type, it was about education type and of, conservation. Yeah, yeah, but they got political. And the okay. NRA was very much about conservation. Without At least that's a doubt. what they were. They they used to be known for. A lot of these hunting, and because the hunters were the ones that came forward. Well, then all these associate. I don't care if you're the Corn Council, you're the Petroleum Council, you're the NRA, or you're the Ducks Unlimited. Everybody now has a catch-all for corporate money. So they they've got four different organizations under the oh yeah well we got a nonprofit we got a political mm -hmm. group we got our old traditional whatever we were before and oh, I, th I think we're also a business too so if you just want to spend your business money in our trade show we got coming up okay great so we got a write off we got a political off we got I yeah. mean all these different tax codes they got that's the problem why no one trusts nonprofits anymore I mean. Well, you, they well, had to create go, like a okay. whole language. You told me that you got this tree thing coming up. Yeah, this tree, this okay. Is perfect let's transition you, to this okay. next story because that's that's. I'm very passionate about this. Okay, I've 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 been in the tree planting uh, passion now for over ten years. I've been I've been recycling and doing highways now for 15, 20 years. And actually, as a kid, I used to recycle cans. That's how I, that was one of my first jobs. I would go dumpster sure. diving. Yeah. To go recycle cans. You could, make, you could make some comic book and candy money doing that back then. That's how I... Uh, yeah. My parents didn't give me any money. Psh. I had to go get a job. I, I've been working full time since I was in fifth grade because I got a paper out. I had to work, wake up every day. I was an independent contractor since... <laughs> I was an independent contractor in fifth grade. Yeah, uh, right out of the gate. I've been an independent contractor since fifth grade. Yet, I got some 24-year-old 
telling me how to run my business. <laughs> okay, pal. <laughs> How's that government check and government bailout doing? What do we got for the trees? I got okay. a real problem with yeah. these trees. Yeah, now you're all riled up. Okay, so planting trees sounds like a simple climate fix. We it's call them faux entrepreneurs, by the way. But fake, you know, faux. Faux, faux, faux. The, the French word faux, faux, faux entrepreneurs, faux entrepreneurs. So fake, fake entrepreneurs. Well, there, there used to be the bootstrappers, which would start in the garage. You know, they used to be the old Steve Jobs type. Yeah. Well, then the faux entrepreneurs took over the word bootstrap and became a sexy term. Or bootstrapping. Well, bootstrap meant that you get government money. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. exactly. Yeah. It was seed money. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like grassroots. How they abuse that. Grassroots means you get corporate money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. I've often thought that, but it, we're young, so we call it grassroots. Well, it's boy. It, these guys are getting exposed. Dude, it really depends on which side you stand on. Right. It really does. Right. Anyway, so what's going on with the trees? So what they're talking about here, they're using an example: uh, a peat bog. Peat bog forms over thousands of Band years. Band name, I call it. Peat as bog. plants decay into a dense, dark, soggy soil that peat traps bog. their carbon content within. Peatlands are the world's most efficient carbon sink, storing twice as much planet-warming carbon dioxide as forests. So at the end of last year, the U.S. government approved a tree planting project on 100 acres of peat bog in northern England. Conservationists raised the alarm. So contractors dug long trenches to drain the water, planted rows of conifer trees that act like straws, sucking up water and drying out the soil. Why did the conservationists raise alarm? As the soil dried out, thousands of years of carbon started to be released. So what they're saying is if you want to not do harm to the environment, it really needs to be properly thought out. They released far more carbon Mm -hmm. than they are going to be able to capture with the trees they planted. So this goes back to what you've been talking to me about. You know, you can't just plant a tree and walk away. You've got to really nurture it for that first two years or so, make sure it's established and gets that root structure. This isn't even something I'd ever thought about. You know, that you might like dig up a swamp going, oh, that's going to be great. We're going to make it pretty and actually release more carbon into the air. And that's a big problem in uh, Canada and Alaska right now with the tundra and the... um yeah, with uh, the tundra, permafrost, the thaw, with permafrost. Thaw, with frost, yeah. And th- what they're doing is v- very similar to that. And this is a this is this is why the industrial forest is going to work. It's all about offsets, like realistic it, offsets. Here's here's you know we talked about the nonprofits before. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here's why the oil and gas companies are are in trouble. Is that they're giving their money to a nonprofit to go do these types of things. Well, they're not checking to see what the sustainability plan is from the nonprofit. So they're just giving the money to them. And then the nonprofit or the political organization or whatever is really screwing them over because they're, they're not planting the trees in a positive way. So what ends up happening is that the oil and gas company who gave money to the nonprofit that went and released all the peat moss gas yeah. can technically be on the hook for that. Well, and that's the thing too, is that the, in the eyes of the public, yeah, and what they're what they're worried about is that no amount of tree saplings they can put in right now will be able to recapture that right. amount in a you know in a geographical time scale. See, and this is where human time. Th- scale. This is where now we go back to the argument of which is quite simple that you can't predict the future. Humans have been decarbonizing. Innovate. Think of the world a hundred years ago. Okay, seriously, 100 years ago, what year was that? 1920, 
1921. Okay. So you did have electricity, you had indoor plumbing, and you know we in the just States, started so having that. You had okay. the first airplanes, you cars, had cars, but not everybody had a car. No, certainly not. And in 1920, you would have had very basic airplanes. We didn't have commercial airlines. No, no, we no. had. Orbel was 1914, right? I don't think he had commercial airlines until after World War I. Okay. My point is the world was a lot different yeah. 100 years ago. I think the world's going to be different 100 years too. Oh, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about a world 100 years ago is it's still recognizable to you and me in on some ways. You yeah, know, yeah. It would be way different for the other person to so, come forward 100 years. But my point is, is that technology's advanced. Mm-hmm. Society's advanced. Maybe. <laughs> it has. Um, whether it's positive Whether or it's negative, a good advancing or not, yeah. It's still going to, yeah. yeah and it's an evolution. So when, when you look at that, I think that's going to continue. Sure. So this crash course to get rid of our liberties and pay all this money so that very select people can tell us how to live, I'm just not on board with that. I'm just not on board with that. And I'm kind of getting tired of being uh, shamed for it, you know. So well, and that's the problem too is that if when you when you break it down, everybody's actually pretty much on the same page, right? It's we don't want the planet to go bad, so we need to find a way to take care of it. It's the messaging, and it's the way you and I might disagree about how to clean up the planet, right? rather than just addressing the issue. And the problem with something like this is the idea of doing something that you think is good, right? Planting trees, how could that be bad? Especially since going forward with things like the Paris Climate Agreement and things like that, one of the different ways that governments and businesses are going to be able to offset the carbon they release into the atmosphere is forests. So they can either prevent current deforestation or they can plant new forest and increase the health forest is the window dressing you know honestly it's great and everything but at the end of the day one volcano burp is five generations of humans you know what i mean so and we don't know when the next volcano burp is coming but you i so, think you tell me about the industrial forest you tell me about using industry to use those types of logistics to create a smart forest. And that's right. what they're talking about. And we're looking at smart forests. And that's where the industrial forest comes in because, you know, we're going to layer in the bu- butterfly and the bee gardens and we're going to share the data uh, with, the, with the other forests. We already have a major city in Ohio on a waiting list. We already got a waiting list now for the industrial forest. But we're going to have a big announcement later this week, by the way. Changes show sponsor. Big changes coming. Okay, we're scaling back, or we were a little bit aggressive. We, were, I was wrong again. You were optimistic. Well, I liked. I I, I have passion, mm-hmm. and I tend to put my passion before my brains. And I was wrong. This seemed I like a slam dunk, man. Definitely thought this was going to be a lot more accepted by industry than it was. Um, but I also accept reality because I'm not going to live in the planet of platitudes because I can't afford that. I do not come from the entitled class so when you do not come from the entitled class you cannot live in the planet of platitudes if you're part of the entitled class oh you can live in the planet of platitudes all day because you get it funded (laughs) but when you live in the realm of reality the realm of reality you can't leave the casino that's rigged because they got security that keep you in there that's that's where we're at today and i just keep hearing platypus when you say platitudes i'm sorry it's p words for me no, you're right. I mean, and that's the problem is, you know, it's it's almost like a, you talk about a consolidation of energy companies over the years, and it's more and more our rights are controlled by business 
You know, they're controlled by what is hmm. profitable. I, I've said it for six months. No, I said it for a year now. We're entering a world, because it's been a year now with COVID. We are entering a world of corporate oversight. It's Blade Runner. And government control. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Corporate think, oversight. I don't think you're able to distinguish between the two. government control. Because the corporate oversight is watching all of our cookies. Think about all it. of our cookies. That's corporate, man. Oh yeah. Except in China, that's well, that's, that's the what same. I was going to say. Think they're, about they're China. They're in this is the same. If if <laughs> if you were going to if you were going to have a political ideology that best conformed to today's type of world, right? In terms of online communications, uh, trade, commerce, all that kind of stuff, China really seems to be made for that moment, right? Because they have the manpower the financial capital, the rare earth resources and other resources, and the sheer willpower, and they've merged government with corporate, right? It, what they did first was they, they, they allowed corporations, they allowed businesses, they started to open up on a capitalistic level. And we thought in the 90s and so, we thought, great, they're going to they're gonna open up, right? Human rights and stuff like that. No, they realized you control that, Perfectly. Now, I think with China, what you're looking at is the future of large nation states. It's a synthesis of government and corporation, and they exist to feed on each other. And everything else is the lower. I don't think there'll be a middle class anymore, man. Did you see when China hosted the Olympics? Yeah. When they did the opening ceremonies, I knew the U.S. was screwed. There is no way the United States could perform that level of control with that many people at that high. I mean, when I watched, I went, oh, my God. There's really. Oh, my. Well, you know, China's the boogeyman for us. When you and I I were growing up, it was the Soviet Union. But but they're also kind of envious. You kind of envy them a little bit, too. Well, that's why I think like they are probably a model for future nation states going forward, especially when they look at pandemics and other uh, civil unrest and they look at uh, riots in our country and all that other stuff. They're probably thinking, what's better long term? A free, open society where this stuff is tolerated? Is that where we're going? Or a society where we control exactly what Google tells you. Are we going to have to, is, are those the sides we're going to pick? Do we want to be part of a corporate country or part of a nation state? Is after, that where we're going? Dude, after, is that where we're going? after 9-11, did we get more rights? Microsoft. I want to go live in Google. After 9-11, <laughs> did we get more rights or less rights? Oh, less rights, of course. Have we gotten more rights or less rights in the last decade? Oh, no, I know. No, it's you happening. Know? No, I know it's happening. It's, it's, I'm, it's, I'm all, it's I'm, pinhole vision, it. dude. It's 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 me after six shots of tequila. It's blackout city, right? Going just straight down the hallway. Speaking of which, after this conversation, I want to go have some tequila. I know, right? Let's, Let's go do it's, it. It's, it's do time. How did you get so dark on a Monday? Me? You're the one that takes me down these these roads here, man. I, I don't even go, have a fun story to end on. I just want to plant trees, man, and well, have this a big was old This was supposed to be the fun story, too. All right, we got tomorrow. Oh, coming up next, by the way, Andy Black, Association of Pipelines. We're way over on our news segment, so I do apologize, folks. We didn't get to our trolling segment. We didn't get to the Greta mural. We got traveling coming up, all this kinds of different things. I've been waiting for days on the trolling stuff, so I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. Didn't even get to the Super Bowl winners. All kind Dude, of, we, yeah. You know what? Pented up. All right. Yeah, Pen- that's what we were today. You know, I could tell we, we, came, we, we came out of the weekend with some 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 thoughts, some feelings. Yeah, right. I feel ways about stuff. We got to go work hard now. So we're going to work hard with Andy Black, Associates and Pipelines. Tomorrow, more fun. It's going to play hard tomorrow. I swear, Stay Sterling awesome. Jason, we'll see you tomorrow.
Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be united. Class one, and that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was the oil that won World War One, As the British said from the full parliament, the Allies floated to victory on the Sea of Oil. Here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Lots of these are always, always, always any kind of business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples. They always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know. When you move to oil field areas, you get a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Time now to work hard on the Swan Energy phone lines. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everyone's having a great day. We are joined today with Andy Black, who is the president of the Association of Oil Pipelines. Good morning. How are you doing today, Andy? Good morning, Jessica. Great to be here. Oh, it's hopefully going to be a wonderful day. So I guess let's go ahead and start with a little bit about the Association of Oil Pipelines. What is it exactly that the association is responsible for? We're a small trade association in Washington, D.C., and we represent uh, pipelines, liquid pipelines that carry crude oil, 
uh, refined products like gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel, and then natural gas liquids. Uh, we are uh, focused primarily on federal issues, but sometimes get involved out there in the States. And it's good to be able to talk to you about pipelines. Absolutely. I find it interesting, uh, especially when looking at your website, I see that there's a whole bunch of, of uh, space on the website dedicated to the safety measures that are taken with the pipelines. And I find it interesting that it that these types of measures aren't actually talked about more, I don't know, in, in uh, mainstream media or just in open dialogue when it comes to oil and gas industry. We do need to talk about safety a lot. Uh, AOPL does three things primarily. We advocate for responsible public policies, so with our safety regulators and Congress, uh, and we, next, like you're talking about, work on improving safety for pipelines, continuous improvement in safety. And then third is communicating to the public about the role that pipelines play in their daily lives they're the safest mode of transportation. And as you mentioned, that's something you can never do enough of. We really want people to be comfortable uh, with the fact that we rely on pipelines every day uh, and that they're uh, safe and getting safer. Right. Well, and there's, there's what, over 200,000 pipelines. Is that just in the U.S.? Yes, over 200,000 uh, miles of hazardous liquid pipelines in the U.S. And that's been growing. That's stopping a little bit right now with COVID, but it'll pick up later. The pipelines are all around. We, people don't normally notice them, but they're there serving us. Right. Well, that's, that's a lot of pipelines to be monitoring and keeping safe. How do you monitor the pipelines? Uh, pipelines are uh, monitored in control rooms with operators uh, working 24-7, collecting information from up and down the pipe, uh, indications about pressure and flow rate. They're looking for signs of an incident, but almost every pipeline that's out there is, is run by a control room. And that became an issue in COVID, making sure that those control room workers were protected from the virus, from other employees, and could keep working while everybody was shutting down. Were you able to keep working through that period of time? Or? Yeah, no pipelines shut down because of COVID. Uh, control room operators were uh, sequestered from other employees. I even heard stories of of hotel rooms away from families where control room personnel would go. And all you did was go from the hotel to uh, the control room and back. Uh, pipelines are sometimes shut down during uh, hurricanes or natural disasters just to make sure that there's not going to be an incident. But we kept operating during COVID and uh, kept doing the maintenance that we need to do with field personnel. While most of the employees worked from home, those there were people who couldn't uh, work from home and had to be out there uh, doing their thing, and uh, they were largely protected from the virus. So it's a success story. That is a success story. Have things been kind of evening out, I suppose, since then? It's better. Uh, like much of American business, there was a, there was a downturn. There was a period where uh, first uh, use of gasoline, diesel fuel, and jet fuel dropped off. Uh, they've come back a little bit, jet fuel the least, uh, and then. Uh, once the refineries recognized that there wasn't as much demand for refined products, they started slowing down. So you had periods of less throughput, what we call in the pipeline industry, of the amount of product that moves through the pipelines. 
So that was logistics issues for people to manage to make sure that storage tanks didn't fill up and that everything kept operating safely while we're providing the, the diesel that we need for freight to keep moving when everyone was ordering things at home. Uh, and then business issues, uh, less revenue, less business for pipelines. A lot of that has come back. Uh, jet fuel was down 80% as a country at the worst. Wow. Now it's down 50%. And that is so our, our customers in the airline business continue to suffer. Uh, diesel, fuel, gasoline, they're down still about 10% from where they were. So we're coming back. Uh, what we need is what everybody needs. We need the virus to be under control and vaccines to be out there so that every American feels comfortable doing what she or he was doing beforehand. And, and then this ought to take care of itself. Well, I certainly hope that will be correct. I certainly do. So what do you think the, the biggest obstacle aside from COVID has been over this last year? Well, uh, for the pipeline industry, it started with a price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia that was already affecting the business. And to me, COVID is two things, and they're, they're both big. That was the, the health issue uh, and then the business issue. So one of the lasting impacts of, kind of the business issue is uh, deferred projects. This is a sector that has been growing because Americans have been needing more of the products that pipelines carry. And you've got some projects that were either canceled or, or put on hold. Uh, and companies, when you listen to what they tell investors, say that uh, they want to be back in, say, 2022 with projects, but they're, they're not going to be uh, doing those when uh, there's less need for our products. So there's, there's people that we'd like to get back to work when the economy recovers in the pipeline sector and in oil and gas generally. Uh, then on the public health issues, one of our challenges was just doing that type of advocacy that we do in a time where we're working from home, but also government is. And uh, it was interesting to see government leaders uh, starting to do calls and Zoom calls instead of meetings. Uh, it took everybody a while to get back up to doing regular business uh, over uh, advocating over a computer screen than in person. Uh, but that's something that everybody's gotten used to now, both in oil pipelines and in advocacy. And I think lots of other places in American life, like you and I, we could have been doing this in a studio together and now we're doing it over the phone. Right, right. It would have been nice to have met you in person, but... Likewise. Um, so the projects that ended up being deferred, that's kind of what you're looking into for 2021 is kind of getting everything back up and on schedule? Yeah, there's going to be a time where we uh, need more pipeline capacity to serve uh, Americans, right? Everybody uses the products that pipelines carry, whether that's uh, diesel fuel for freight uh, to give you your packages or gasoline for getting where you need to go or jet fuel when we're all taking flights again. Uh, we also move the products that get turned by uh, manufacturing facilities into things like like PPE. Uh, when that happens again, we need to be ready to for uh, 
policymakers to say yes to pipelines and for the public to recognize uh, that a, a pipeline coming in is a good thing when it's operating safely. It can create jobs and tax revenue and make sure that we don't have shortages of energy. So we, we, we shouldn't let up on that explanation to the American public about why we need more pipelines and, and that they're operating safely because we'll get to that point and we need to be ready. Right. Well, and that what that pops into my head is something that I've been seeing for quite a while um, is that, like you had said earlier, pipelines, well, they are the cleanest way of transporting liquid oil and gas and diesel. And Yeah, there's two ways we look at it now. First, the traditional way is uh, spills, is incidents. And there's even decimal points above that 99.999% of every product in a pipeline is delivered safely. So uh, it's it's the Americans' benefits that a barrel of crude oil move on a pipeline over a train or a truck or a barge. I'm not saying those are unsafe. They're just statistically not as safe as pipelines. So then the other way that we look at it now as there's concern about climate change is that uh, pipeline transportation has lowest lower carbon emissions than any other mode of transportation. So if you're concerned about fuels moving from point A to point B with the fewer carbon emissions, uh, even the Obama administration made clear that the pipeline is the least carbon emissions way to do it. Yeah, see, and I, I find that to be highly intriguing, especially with the, well, the controversy over oil and gas over this last year as different groups have well, it seemed like at the beginning of the year, we're especially pushing hard to try and uh, get rid of pipelines, lessen the amount of, of pipelines that were being utilized for oil and gas. Yeah, um, Americans want action on climate change, but they don't want policies that increase the cost of their energy or uh, create shortages that make them not be able to uh, get where they need to go. So our job as pipeline operators is to uh, to help deliver the energy that they need while this energy transition is worked on. And they're going to need pipelines for a long time. Uh, we, uh, we use electricity primarily to power the pumps of oil pipelines. So we've got an incentive to use less electricity and to have lower carbon emissions. And uh, that itself will help uh, make sure that the lowest carbon emitting mode continues to get cleaner. Nice. So with the uh, incoming administration here within this next week, do you think that the the new players in the White House and, and on that team are going to change any part of the way that the pipelines are, I want to say, administered is not the correct word, are implemented? maybe change the way that things are implemented for pipelines? Uh, it, it could be, right? This is uh, not a group that has been talking as positively about pipelines uh, as say, the transition, the administration that is leaving. But there are, there are great opportunities to work with them. Uh, pipeline safety is not a partisan issue. We just had a success in Congress in December with doing a, a pipeline safety law that's supported by uh, by both parties and both the House and the Senate. Uh, we're ready to talk to them about uh, any concerns that they've got. We feel confident that the more that is understood about the safety of pipelines or of pipeline construction, 
the more we should be able to address concerns. Uh, pipeline permitting is going to be important when the economy is back up and people are needing uh, more pipeline capacity. So we want pipeline permitting decisions to be to be fair, to be on the merits, uh, not sensational, not about myths, but on facts. And then we want those to, to stand up. We need any American business, like a pipeline operator, to know that once they've got a permit, uh, they can do the investment, create the jobs to uh, provide the customer service. We've got a lot of advocacy to do. Sounds like it also sounds like a pretty good way to start the year, though, if uh, if just in December you'd gotten that passed with bipartisan support to have both parties agree on something, I think is a success story. So what a, that's kind of a good beginning to things, even if even if there's a little uncertainty, it sounds like. Right. We're excited about that law. It creates a couple of things that we think will help. Uh, one, uh, there's a program that our safety regulator in the Department of Transportation can use now to pilot test new technologies and new safety techniques to gain information uh, so that uh, they can decide how to roll out safety technologies and techniques across the whole pipeline industry. Uh, just like in so many other sectors, technology is changing rapidly in pipeline safety. The data that comes from an inspection device traveling inside a pipeline collects a lot of information and the people back uh, in the computers can gain a lot of information from that. And we want the pace of technology to be matched by government regulations keeping up with that. So now Congress said, Department of Transportation, go lean into technological developments and learn from them, learn what can be safely applied across uh, across the whole pipeline industry. So we're glad that uh, Congress listened on that, and that's something that we can uh, work with the next administration on. Wonderful. That does sound very exciting. Real real quick, because you, you piqued my interest, you were talking about a device on the inside of the pipeline that uh, relays data I'm, back? I'm glad you asked about that. Uh, you may have heard, or your listeners, of the, uh, kind of the phrase of a smart pig. Uh, there is technology that is put inside a pipeline that's pressed through the pipeline that gathers information. So uh, they once you uh, bring out a pipeline, bring sorry, bring a smart pig out of a pipeline, you've got information about uh, any deformities on the inside of a pipe. Uh, the goal is to uh, learn about issues on a pipeline and review them and address them if necessary before they would become a problem. So this is all like preventative maintenance, uh, and it's using technology that you might find at a doctor's office when you get an MRI or an X-ray. Uh, these engineers can take information from a smart pig traveling inside a pipeline and, and learn about uh a feature that they might need to go uncover and inspect personally. And that's that's driven a lot of safety improvements over the last several decades and even over the last five years. Over the last five years, incidents that impact public or the environment, they're down 36%, even from a good where place that they started. This is one of the ways that we're excited about continuing to improve pipeline safety. Wow, that is that's pretty incredible. 
very proactive. Well, and a lot of work. Uh, you you, uh, you see a pipeline marker, uh, and you don't know that there's a lot of technology uh, that's going through the pipeline underground to try to make things safer. Uh, we need to do that. Our goal is zero incidents. Uh, even if we're at 99.999 plus percent, we want to be at 100. And the American people expects that, that the pipeline is always going to be able to retain the product that's inside it. Yeah, that's a that's that's a very good quality of standard to to hold, and that's very very impressive. You must have a lot of very brilliant people working on these these technologies. I, I'm impressed by what they uh, what they can do. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you might like to discuss or think that would be noteworthy for anyone listening going on into the new year? I think we've covered a lot of ground here. I want to make sure that. Uh, people understand that uh, pipeline industry is there to work with them. If they've got a, a pipeline in their neighborhood or if there's one that's being proposed, uh, that we can help answer questions and that they that they depend on them right now. Only in a hurricane uh, when a pipeline is down uh, and product is not being delivered do people really recognize sometimes how much we need them, right? The, the gasoline at the gas station uh, comes there after a long trip in several pipelines. Uh, We want people to be comfortable with pipelines uh, and how that they are maintained. And if you've got a pipeline operator in your area and you've got questions about how to act safely around a pipeline, call before you dig, uh, we want them to reach out. We're ready to help. Asking questions is a good thing. Knowledge is power, as Sir Francis Bacon said. Yep. I agree. Well said. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Andy. I really appreciate it. Great, Jenica. Great questions. Thank you. All right, friends and listeners, that was Andy Black, President and CEO for the Association of Oil Pipelines. want to thank him again for taking time out of his day to talk with me and so that we could get this great information out to anyone or if you want to find out about pipeline specifically, go the music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. with Jason Spies. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as 
successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can see for my 20 companies, they take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> the Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Dwayne Ferris of Black Creek Canine Pipeline Leak Detection. Genetics plays a big role into it, and historical uh, working lines plays a huge role with it. I think a lot of it ties into their endurance, their capabilities to be able to walk right-of-ways for miles on in in various temperatures. So they tend to be more conducive and more aligned for the type of work that we're doing but within the canine community there are tons of dogs that have jobs used for everything and anything underneath the sun um like there's conservation dogs there's water leak detection dogs there's actually sewage leak detection dogs worldwide there's actually dogs that are taught to find and locate buried cabled cables that have actually become um severed and not completed the connectivity and i've learned about these through a uh, nonprofit it's called the international canine spill and leak detection association for which uh, mr paul bunker he's the president of this association so putting this out worldwide we're actually getting to see a vast array of different types of jobs with jobs that are able to detect this type of stuff within the uh, the environment that they're working in so it's been very educational and eye-opening uh, if you've heard the uh, the nose work uh, sport to basically uh, even pugs and bulldogs and just your normal average dog that's home with their their family they're actually taking interest in looking for essential type of oils uh, out there and turning it into a huge sport so you could take a dog that doesn't really have a job out there and incorporate them into the sport. And at the same time, the owners of these dogs are also gaining knowledge on how to train a dog to detect something that they're looking for. And at the same time, creates a little friendly competition out there. And I like to see that more dogs with jobs out there. So it solves a lot of behavioral issues too at the same time. To listen to the full-length interview with Dwayne Ferris of Black Creek Canine Pipeline Leak Detection, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're at thecrudelife.com, be sure to check out our social media pages and our daily morning show, Play Hard, Work Hard. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard.